Hello and welcome to the Violin and Viola Practice Power Podcast. I'm Laurel Thompson and you're listening to the first installment of my Practice Tips series. In this series we will be discussing all sorts of different aspects that can either contribute or hinder a daily effective practice routine. And so if you have a daily practice schedule and you're very consistent, hopefully you'll gain some tips that will help keep it that way. And if you don't, uh, hopefully you'll gain some tips that will help you to create that in your life. So welcome to Practice Boot Camp. So today we're going to be talking about creating your practice environment. And this is a very important factor for a consistent practice routine and is often overlooked. So the first um, idea that I wanted to put forth here is uh, something that I realized as a child, and this was that I was a communal space practicer. So what does that mean? Well, I uh, felt as though I was being sent to my room if I was practicing in my room. It felt very lonely to me and I didn't get much done, but if I was able to roam freely about the house and specifically be in communal spaces like the living room, then I could practice for hours. Unfortunately, many of us don't have this ability in our lives. We live with other people and um, they're not as agreeable as my parents were at first. Um, mind you, as my practice time expanded, I did need to move into my room. But just as a starting point to figure out what your best practice environment would be, we can look at this practice personality, if you will. Are you a communal space practicer or a private space practicer? And, um, and gain some, some ideas. So um, this idea for me of being a communal space practicer has held true as I've become an adult. And uh, these days, if I'm home alone, I practice in the living room. And if others are around, then I'm in my home office. And it works just fine. Um, I've kind of come to terms with the fact that I'm an adult now and I'm not really being sent to my room. But um, I think there's still that, you know, that feeling of not wanting to miss out on the action. And it's interesting um, as far as other aspects of my work, my writing and um, updating my website and whatever, I'll, um, I'll be on the computer, although I have a nice you know desk in my office, I'll be on my computer in the living room at the dining room table, um, always did my homework growing up um, in communal spaces, and it's just kind of interesting, that's just how I was, and, and you know, going to a coffee shop where there's lots of bustling around and stuff is, for whatever reason, a great environment for me to get work done. If you are a person who needs quiet, solitude, you know, no distractions to be focused, then this would not be your cup of tea. And it really doesn't matter. It's just about figuring out what's right for you. So let's look at a few different options. So first of all, if you're a communal space practicer, we'll start there. Maybe you live with a family, either as a child or you're an adult and you have a family. And there's not really the space or the flexibility of your other family members to allow you to practice in the communal spaces. That's fine. Um, that's very common. <laughs> so what helped me was um, moving all of my birds. So I had doves and cockatiels and lovebirds growing up, a whole menagerie <laughs> of, um, of avian friends. When we moved them into my bedroom, from the living room, 
that helped me immensely to be able to just to practice in there and um, that really it made all the difference I had company and you know they didn't distract me um, they might distract other people but for me you know just their little chirping and singing along with the music and um, eventually eating my music <laughs> pieces of my music um, that was another story but um, it just really helped me to be in there by myself with them and feel comfortable and just you know the whole practice thing wasn't a problem anymore um, but as I said for other people bringing pets into your space might be a distraction um, but I have a feeling that if you are a communal space practicer, it probably won't be. Also, being kind of flexible with your practice location. So, like I do now, practicing in the living room or another common area when you're not going to be distracting and bothering other people and then moving into a more private space when other people would be bothered could be an option and, um, you know, that could gradually help you kind of get over this idea of maybe being sent to your room for punishment. Um, creating a pleasing practice environment, which we'll get into in a minute, but you know, not kind of a dark, dreary area would be good. Maybe, you know, windows to the outdoors or nice wall hangings or whatever, but we'll, we'll get to all the details of that in a minute. And then I'll talk about this a little bit now, but I'll probably go into it in more depth in another episode in this series, but um, coming with a very strong and personally driven purpose for practicing so that you have a reason for going into this private space. If uh, Even if you're a communal space practicer, this is what you need to do. And, um, and then being able to just to really know what the work is that you need to get done and then doing that work. So it's not so much about being sent to your room or this punishment thing. So setting a clear intention, a clear goal for each and every practice, even writing it down and, um, and trying to meet that goal in that session. So on the other side of the spectrum, the private space practicer, this, um, for the communal space practicer, this seems like not a big deal. Like, of course, you just go into a room, shut the door, do your practice, it's fine, not a big deal. But it can come with a whole nother set of problems which center around not being able to find a private space where you're not going to be bothered and distracted. Unlike the communal space practicers who almost thrive on having stuff going on around them and they can still, like, you know, the eye of the hurricane be completely focused. People who gravitate towards needing a private space to practice really need no distraction. And that's what that's about. So getting rid of the distractions in your life is going to be key here. Let's talk about some possible distractions and some possible solutions. First of all, maybe your home is situated such that you don't really have a place where you can close the door and be in a private area. Maybe you have kind of a small home and all the areas are kind of always used by other family members. A solution that several of my adult students came to uh, over the years was finding places outside of the home where they could practice. So some of them took their instruments to work, some of them uh, were able to use the practice rooms at the local community college 
Those are just some ideas. You know, look around at your resources and maybe you'll find a solution. For some of you, it might be kind of reconfiguring the home or being creative with your space, finding room in the garage, clearing out some old stuff so you can have a space there maybe, or I've known people that have invested in one of these kind of very nice small outdoor offices, I guess, if you will, um, the kind of coming, you know, prefab offices, you know, 10 by 10, 12 by 12, something like that. And uh, just sort of setting it up in the backyard. Uh, I don't even know if, if such things need a foundation, um, you know, probably several thousand dollars. But, uh, you know, as I said, it could be an investment if you have a small home. Another aspect might be just setting clearer and um, more strict boundaries with your family members. So if you're a parent with small children, having, um, you know, not expecting them to necessarily take care of themselves for hours, but maybe 15 minutes, a half an hour, and maybe setting a timer and telling them that unless there's emergency, they can't bother you until the timer goes off. You know, it's time to play by yourself, or maybe they want to be involved in your practice as an audience member, and you can teach them about um, what it means to be a good audience member, not talking, um, being very mindful and respectful, and then giving you some nice applause when you're done with each of your exercises and songs. So that could be an idea. Um, also, kind of looking at the times of the day when the spaces might be available for you and working around other people and kind of coming up with a plan for the use of, the, of each space in your home. So yeah, I'm hoping that more than anything, this will just kind of be an eye-opener for some of you as to why practicing might be challenging you know, realizing that you are a communal space practicer, for instance, or that you're a private space practicer and you really need that quiet, solitary space. I did want to talk about one other thing on the topic um, of family members. And over the years, I've had a few students where, you know, whether they are a communal space practicer or a private space practicer, um, that wasn't so much the issue. It was more the family members. There were certain family members that didn't really enjoy the sound of the violin or um, it was bothersome to them. There was one student whose father worked nights and he slept, you know, for, I don't know, most of the afternoon or something like that. So, you know, there was the sense of bothering him and maybe waking him up. And what, um, what I recommended for that was to get some heavy practice mutes for those students and to use those. And also, you know, again, it's, it's kind of a, a time juggling issue. So when those people that maybe don't like the sound of the violin or how you're playing it, at least maybe you're a beginner, you know, oh, well, <laughs> kind of have to go through that phase, all of us, um, finding times when those people aren't going to be home and making sure that you, you jump to it and practice then. Okay, so putting that aside, Whatever the space that you're choosing to practice in, let's make sure that it's an uplifting, light, um, inspiring environment. Even if you live in kind of a basic apartment and you don't really have a lot of room, setting aside a place where you can have your music stand, where maybe you have some sort of a view other than just 
a blank wall behind it, a window, a nice wall hanging, a plant, some crystals, some things that are pleasing to the eyes that your eyes can fall on when they're not focusing on the music or, you know, if you're playing by ear that you can just kind of look at. If you're a child or the parent of a child and uh, this child will be practicing in his or her room with all the toys, um, this could be not a distraction at all, but it also could be a distraction. So being mindful of that. I had one student who set up a little practice corner in, I think her mom's office or kind of a, a guest room or something and put up kind of a gauzy tapestry thing. And it was, it was very, she, um, we did a Skype lesson, um, when she couldn't make it here in person and, and she showed me, took me on a little tour of her practice area and it was very nice. And it seemed like a place where she could stay focused. Another idea with uh, toys and kids that some of my students have tried is to set up the toys as if it's the audience, and especially for the little kids, this does seem to help um, promote practicing. Another idea for your practice space is to install a mirror and practice in front of the mirror. Not only will this help you to correct positioning of the arms and hands and your posture and stuff like that, but um, also for whatever reason, and, and it seems pretty obvious, when you're playing in front of a mirror, you tend to look more like you want to sound eventually. So you get to look like that violinist or that violist that you want to become. And, uh, you know, the visuals are important. You know, stage presence is definitely its own thing. So a mirror might help you to cultivate that. Kind of on a side note, uh, if you've never played in the bathroom, that's an interesting place to try practicing. I used to spend decent chunks of time playing in front of the mirror in the bathroom with the echoey acoustics and loving it. You might try that to kind of mix it up and have some fun from time to time. And then we can just kind of wrap it up here with the nitty gritties of your practice environment. So obviously a stand and I can't tell you how many people have come to me six months, a year in, and then said, so what stand do you recommend? We're finally going to get a stand because we think that she's going to stick with it. Or, well, I've been propping my book up on the chair, f you know, for the last four months, and, and you think that, you know, I might as well get something else. So right in the beginning, just invest in a stand. You can probably always, you know, sell it if you don't actually continue playing the instrument, but... Um, it's going to set the stage for better practicing if you have a place for your books. Another is, of course, having your instrument close by and ideally having it in such a way where it's not like stuffed behind a couch or in a closet or something. I found this often to be a deterrent for especially my little students who have even littler siblings that they want to keep the instrument away from and they stuff it behind a couch or in a closet or up on a high shelf where even the child can't get to it himself. And even though it really only takes a minute or two to take out the violin and tighten up the bow and rosin the hairs, this can feel like it takes an eternity and can definitely be a deterrent to practicing. So ideally having the instrument in a place where it can be open and ready, not in danger of anything falling on it or a young child or a pet coming and messing around with it. You know, the shoulder rest on, 
the bow shouldn't be tightened, but you know, the case open and ready to go. Basically, however you can cut down on the amount of steps it would take to actually start playing a song. This was a big factor for me growing up. It really helped if I, as soon as I got back from my lesson, opened up my case, um, got the violin ready with the shoulder rest and everything. And, you know, for whatever reason I couldn't do that on that day, then sometimes I'd miss a couple days of practicing and that wasn't a good thing. If you do find a way that you can keep your instrument uh, set up and ready to go, not only will you probably discover that it's easier to get started practicing, but as an added bonus, you might find that you practice more throughout the day, as was the case with me growing up, where I would practice for 10 or 15 or 20 minutes, and then come back later and practice for another 10 or 15 or 20 minutes. And not only was this very focused time, but it added up to a lot of time over the course of a day. Other things to include in your practice area, uh, pencil, rosin, pretty much every, everything you might need. Um, obviously your music books, having a CD player or an MP3 player close by so you can listen to the things that you're trying to play, having uh, something that you can record on so that you can get some feedback on how you're sounding from time to time. That's a great idea to have that in that space. If you plan to be sitting when you're practicing, having the chair already there so you don't have to drag a dining room chair from the other side of the house into your practice space. I do recommend that people stand though. Personally, uh, I find that people have more fluidity and motion and um, there's less of a tendency for bad posture. I mean, you know, you can have bad posture in any position, but when there's a chair there, the tendency to slouch is a lot greater. And so then if you are standing, making sure that it's not a really hard floor that you're standing on, um, if you have hardwood floors or tile floors or whatever, putting um, a carpet down because standing on a hard floor is definitely going to be really tiring pretty quickly. So I think that wraps up our um, podcast for today, creating your practice environment. I hope you have gained some tips and tools that you can uh, take into your practicing and get onto a more regular schedule or um, just strengthen the one that you already have. Again, I am Laurel Thompson. My website is www.laurelthompson.com. That's spelled L-A-U-R-E-L-T-H-O-M-S-E-N. I love to receive listeners' comments, suggestions, and questions, so if you have any of those for me, please send me an email to laurel at laurelthompson.com. And if you are interested in getting, a, getting some lessons or a second opinion on the technique that you are learning in your lessons, need some help with technique, with posture, with troubleshooting, areas of pain that you might be experiencing for whatever reason. I do lessons in person on the California Central Coast and also via Skype for people who are out of the area. And if you're interested in lessons, please also send me an email, laurel at laurelthompson.com. Please check back soon for further installments of this series, The Practice Tips, and check out my other podcasts if you haven't already, which focus on pretty much everything violin and viola not in any particular order. So until next time, happy practicing and hope to see you soon.